0: Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, the podcast telling all the great stories coming out of innovations within healthcare, reminding you that insurance does not equal healthcare, I think we've all heard that enough. I'm your host, Christopher Habig, and on today's episode, we're joined by Amit Reddy, the CEO of Equal Health, a platform that is enabling and accelerating employer direct primary care programs and connecting employers to a lot of great DPC practices out there and really taking a lot of the guesswork out of it. Amit, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Chris.
1: Now, this is something that obviously I get really excited about, probably every single conversation we have on here, but what you're doing uh, and where you really came from to get to this point is, is kind of unique. You know, we, we've heard the term reformed hospital administrator before, um, but I think you take it um, kind of a step further than some of our other guests because here you are innovating in the DPC space. And I want to know, I want to get talking about what kind of motivated you to start Equal Health and get involved in the direct primary care world?
2: First of all, I, I never, you know, thought of myself as an entrepreneur and I, I never planned or had an intention to, to, to launch my own startup. Uh, my original career path was in hospital administration, like you mentioned, and um, specifically I was working at urban medical centers, academic medical centers, community hospitals, and uh destination cancer hospitals as well and so my background came from a very different world than than where i work today Uh, and my focus throughout all that time was really around strategic initiatives physician relations service line planning as opposed to what a traditional hospital administrator does and when i mean a traditional hospital administrator i mean the operators who are really focused on day-to-day clinic and and hospital operations I was really more focused on strategic initiatives around value-based care, right? What are we doing as a health system, and as, as a country, to shift uh, care away from this fee-for-service model and make it more affordable and higher quality? And then specifically, what are we doing around alternative payment models, right? Mm-hmm. How do we change the way that we are financing care and making it available to the patient? And so that being my background and my interest area, when I learned of DPC, direct primary care... Um, it quickly stood out to me as the most compelling storyline in healthcare, right? I I viewed that as the only place in healthcare, more so than these hospitals and these large health systems that I'd worked in where doctors and providers were actually providing the value and the quality that everyone else is talking about, right? Hospitals and legislators talk about it, but on a day-to-day basis when they're all putting out their own fires it's hard for that to be the priority. And so I wanted to be a part of that actual change and I thought DPC was the place to be.
1: Well, good for you. We need all the smart, motivated people we can in the industry right Thank now, you. especially since it's such in its infancy right now. Um, yeah. You mentioned some, some really cool stuff and, and you know, I love to drill down kind of in what guests talk about. This concept of value-based care. Yeah. I hear that a lot. To me, it's kind of one of those, one of those buzz phrases such as quality metrics that- yeah nobody really knows what the hell that means, right? It's just like this uh, floating out in the ether and it sounds great. It sounds awesome that we're going to focus on value-based care. We're going to focus on these quality metrics, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, just give me kind of your definition of what you saw in your previous life and Mm -hmm. I consider it to be a previous life because, you know, you've seen the light and you're (laughs) going going this route. I've come back from the
2: dark side, right?
1: Come back from the dark side. That's right. You know, like like I said, reformed uh, in the the deepest meaning of it. So what were you looking at from value-based care? Because your hospital career was was really interesting. Like you said, you weren't an administrator beating physicians over the head to see more patients. You had a really kind of a 30,000 square foot view, I would say. Exactly. Uh, of the industry. So, give us a little bit idea about the value-based care, the quality metrics that you were looking at, and what your work was from a strategy standpoint.
2: Sure. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. My my role was, was definitely a macro perspective, right? It wasn't so much, I wasn't in a specific clinic. I have uh, peers uh, and colleagues that were running clinics or departments at hospitals, and they could tell you exactly who was on staff that day, exactly how many patients came through, what fires that had to be put out. And that was not my my role. My role was to look at the different trends and kind of strategies that were coming down the pipeline in healthcare and figure out ways that we could implement that. And that meant, you know, working on value-based care strategies It meant dealing with startups and other vendors. But, you know, the way I kind of define value-based care is, it's it's really more of a collection of different strategies and initiatives that are, like you said, floating around in healthcare, and people have put down into it under this umbrella that they call value-based care. And examples of that are, you know, bundle payment programs, right? How do you bundle all of the different service providers for a surgery, whether it's the surgeon, the hospital, the rehab, uh, post surgery, uh, the pre surgery work as well, into one payment? And so now all of these different stakeholders are working together to make sure that all the care is delivered under that one bundled payment. And they know that if they go exceed that amount, they're on the hook for the difference. And so it's getting everyone on the same page in terms of cost containment so that people aren't just going cavalier, being cavalier with with what they're charging the patient. Um, Other examples, like what I worked on was a big big initiative that I worked on was developing a post-acute strategy. So what happens to the patient after they leave the hospital, right? when they go to a nursing home, for example, and we see situations all the time where you have hospitals that are, are doing a great job of caring for the patient, and then they get discharged and go to a nursing home in the community, uh, and the quality of care, there, there's no visibility into who's providing the care, how good the care is, and then what happens to the patient afterward. All we know on the hospital side is, oh, we, we just got a readmission on a patient we saw a month ago that's been in a nursing home for the last 28 days. We don't know what happened or why, but they're back in our emergency room. And so, a value-based care initiative that, you know, was put into place was uh, readmission penalties. Now, as a hospital operator, I'm on the hook for every time a patient leaves my hospital and ends up back in my ER. It's no longer treat it, treat them and street them, as they say. Uh, we have to really care about what's happening across the continuum, and so. Value-based care, again, it's not one strategy. It's more of a collection of different initiatives, whether it's ACOs, bundle payments, post-acute initiatives, and so forth, that's really geared around making everyone, all the stakeholders and everyone providing the care accountable and responsible for the cost and the quality that they deliver.
1: I'm curious, compare, again, your previous life in the dark side to what you're doing now at Equal Health. Compare the pace of innovation between those two.
2: Yeah, 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 that's a great point. And uh, I'd I'd say hospitals, the hospitals I was working for, some of them were over 100-year-old institutions, right? And and so they, um, I've worked for 2,000 bed health systems. I've worked for this at the time. Uh, A few years ago, it was the second largest hospital operator in the country. Uh, Now, I think they're third or fourth in terms of the number of hospitals they owned. And so when you're dealing with organizations like that in any industry, they're not going to be as nimble as a smaller startup or even a smaller company. And so these bigger institutions, they're interested in value-based care. They're interested in sort of these healthcare trends and you know fancy buzzwords like you mentioned. But is it priority one? Right, and, and a lot of times the answer is no. So I found that I was I was working on these exciting new programs and initiatives, uh, and I had access to the CEOs and the chief strategy officers of these health systems. But at the end of the day, if the CFO says, "Hey, I understand I'm getting a readmission penalty, but I get more money on getting that patient in the door regardless," so I'll take the slap on the wrist for that readmission, I still need to hit my metrics. And so when you have incentives like that are set up that way, you kind of it's a you you kind of feel handicapped in a way where you're like, the theory's here, I have these executive sponsors who say they want to do value based care, but they don't necessarily demonstrate that in in their actions and, and their day to day, you know, priorities. Now, there are plenty of hospital leaders that I've worked for that were great people, they truly want to care for the patient and the communities. But when your balance sheet is tied to this fee for service model and the whole healthcare system is designed in a way that's not conducive to that then suddenly you're swimming upstream and that's where as, as someone like me who wanted to be on the innovation side it's not the best environment i i need to get away from that and i looked around me and i said you know the startup community and the startup ecosystem is where they're really going out and and setting trends because they're not tied to the same rules as the hospitals, and so that's kind of how I ended up in entrepreneurship.
1: So the pace is just light years away. Uh, light years is, yeah. is what I'm hearing yeah. here, and and yeah. you know it, it it seems like a lot of those hospital systems that you mentioned, um, everything's reactive, right? Mm-hmm. You're 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 looking for other trends that other people are doing, or worse, you're looking at trends that um, lawmakers are doing. Uh, yeah. Different things coming down from either state level or from the federal level. And, you know, it's kind of, it's one of my pet peeves. It just drives me absolutely insane when people are looking to elected representatives to fix healthcare, as a lot of people say, or reform healthcare. And I'm just like, what, how did it yeah. come to this? Right? Because everything is so reactive. Yeah. We look at it and we say, wow, we're spending a bunch of money over here. Oh, we should, we should shift payments from this thing and then it always has unintended consequences. And then big systems are, you know, it's like trying to turn a tanker. And we need speedboats. We need innovation at the, at the point exactly. of care delivery.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and you're preaching to the choir, Chris, because that's exactly right. We're in, a, we're in an election year and politics aside, um, the reality is government officials and, and, and elected officials are, they don't necessarily have a health policy background. Yet they come up with these slogans and, these, and these, uh, these catchphrases and these different types of pie in the sky sort of models on, on healthcare, which even if they were to pass, take decades to really feel the impacts of. And again, I, I'm not going to get into whether I agree on politics or not, but if you look at Obamacare, um, the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010. Hospitals didn't even really start implementing anything until 2014 or 15, right? And so a lot of the, and, and even then there were pilot programs. And that's actually exactly the stuff I worked on. I worked on the Medicare bundled uh, pilot program for a major health system in Michigan and part of a larger subsidiary hospital group. And so when you rely on government to come up with the perfect solution, by the time it gets to the gauntlet of Congress and you have both sides of the aisle picking at it, it doesn't end up being a solution that's good for the consumers and for the average American. So we have to look elsewhere. We have to look at private the private sector, we have to look at the startup ecosystem, uh, we have to look at independent doctors who are taking ownership of, of, of healthcare, taking the rules as they are today, like these direct primary care doctors are, and then just doing it, right? Um, they're, they're going against the grain a little bit, but they're figuring out creative solutions that can deliver that value and that cost savings that we're looking for in this country. And I don't think, you know, long term it's going to come out of D.C. I think it's going to come out of our, our communities uh, that we live and work in today.
1: Completely agree and, and very well said. I uh, actually gave, gave a little talk to the Benjamin Rush Institute, which is a fantastic organization uh, working in medical schools and residency programs across the country, exposing physicians to really free market uh, values and showing them that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need to just work with insurance as a default. But the topic exactly. was independent physicians providing superior care. Overemployed physicians, and you kind of touched upon some of those keys. That you know, there's there's no administrators in a, in an independent DPC world telling you that you have to hit metrics that only contribute to their bonuses. You yeah. get to actually <laughs> take care of people uh, the way that you were trained, the way that you've experienced it, the way that you were educated. And I think you just drove that point home right there with that. So. I want to talk about all the cool stuff you're doing, uh, right now with equal Mm -hmm. health. But so, so when, when was that kind of light bulb moment of when you realized, Hey, what I'm doing right now, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this. I need to go explore the innovative, the DPC world. Is there a single moment where you can put your thumb on it and be like, you know what? That was it. That was the conversation. That was the article. What was that?
2: Uh, Yeah, it wasn't an article, but there was a moment and it was it was really when I connected with uh, a couple a couple colleagues of mine that run a startup studio in in Detroit where where I'm based out of and uh, for them, you know, their job is to help get founders or, or entrepreneurs with a lot of domain experience and help them take these creative solutions and bring them to life. Right. And so it's a it's a it's a group that I work with called Assembler Labs based in Detroit. Um, They are investors. They sit on my board. I talk to them every day at 2.30 p.m. We have a standing meeting. So those were the guys that I approached and said, hey, I have this this concept. uh, There's this movement of direct primary care. I have this concept around it that I think could be really beneficial to um, the consumers and the doctors as well. And I have no idea how to launch my own business right? I, I've worked for these hospitals. I've worked in these huge ins- institutions, but what's that one of being a startup founder, right? And, and uh, Assembler Labs was able to help me sort of vet the idea. And we went on a, on a listening tour and er- interviewed um, almost a hundred direct primary care practices around the country and got a sense of what are your pain points, right? What are your challenges around growth? What are your challenges around working with employers and consumers? And that's where we were able to develop the idea for equal health. It wasn't, let's create software and then try to force feed it to doctors. But really, I would say the conversation with Assembly Labs and the listening tour of talking to all those DPC doctors was like a two-month moment for me, uh, two-and-a-half-month moment where I realized, okay, this actually has some legs. And I, now with my, with my colleagues here, I have uh, the support system I need to actually launch my own business. And that's really when I decided to, to pull the trigger on it.
1: That's a really cool story. Um, you know, I love the fact that that you took your experience and you went and asked for help. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we see that a lot yeah. in DPC, right? People just refuse to ask for help. So, you know, kudos for you because even, you know, launching a medical practice, which is obviously is our bread and butter, yeah. um, that's difficult. But launching even mm-hmm. a, a tech startup is tough and you can't do that alone. I can't might be a a too too, too, uh, stern of a word there, but um, very few people can actually go through that process alone. So, that's Mm -hmm. great to hear you got some, you know, friendly board and and, uh, people who their heads and minds are in the right space. You know, that's always important. You got to work with believers when you go into this Mm -hmm. type of a a type of adventure there. Interviewing all those physicians, um, 100 or so physicians, was there anything else where you looked at that and said, wow, this this not only is moving faster, because you were able to do Mm -hmm. that within two months and get from concept to, you know, this thing's real, this thing's going. So, I'm sure that was faster than any initiative you had in your hospital. Um, What was some kind of linking or defining attributes of those practices that you talked to, either personality-wise or within their businesses?
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great point. And and you do start to see patterns with, with, with a lot of these doctors and DPC practices. After you have 20, 25 of these interviews, you just, you start to see some common themes. And I would say one of the, um, common traits of, of most of these DPC doctors is that they were burnt out, right? They were exhausted from, um, you know, the hospital medical groups that they were working with, the fee for service system that they were operating in, trying to see 30 patients a day. Uh, not feeling like they were actually taking care of their patients, which weighs on them. And, and then of course um, I would say you, you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of zest for, for practicing medicine again with these guys, they're pioneers, right? They have taken on a risk and we're talking about me as a startup founder, but every single DPC doctor out there that has gone and launched their own clinic is a startup founder themselves, Absolutely. right? It might not be exactly a novel idea because a lot of them are doing it, but, They've taken they've taken a concept that isn't commonplace. They weren't trained to do, right? They, they weren't taught in med school how to operate outside of insurance. They weren't taught how to go and, you know, build their own clinic and run their own marketing without an insurance pipeline, but they're doing it. And so I would say the common traits there were around, you know, just a, a zest for entrepreneurship and then being burnt out on the existing system and wanting to see change. And what we noticed from those interviews was that a lot of these doctors were looking to grow, it took them 18 months or two years to get to break even. And, and, you know, they're still working towards their, their target panel size and they would love to work with employers, but you know, there were challenges in doing that. And that's kind of where we started to see a pattern of, okay, the the DPC movement has nailed it with individuals, but the next frontier is the employer market. And we may have a role to play there.
1: Absolutely. Now let's, let's, let's really dive into that one and employer sponsored insurance plans. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them personally. Uh, anybody who listens to the show will probably understand that and and, and all the reasons, but I'm curious, uh, what's your take on this whole system in the U S where your health insurance coverage is essentially tied to being employed at relatively large companies?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're brainwashed and we've been institutionalized into, first of all, the insurance model and secondly, the employer sponsored insurance model. And for example, when I quit my job, uh, packed up my car and drove from Florida back to Michigan to do the startup, I, I had to call my grandmother and explain to her what I was doing. And she's from India. And when I tried to explain to her, insurance and employer sponsored insurance and the fact that there were doctors who were just taking cash for their services her response was well what else would they take right like what what like what as opposed to what like it doesn't it doesn't even make sense to people from other countries and the US is not the best country when it comes to outcomes in healthcare um and so for me you know i I would say I agree. I'm not a fan of employer sponsored healthcare either. Uh, I think it's the, it's the reality of where we are today. But if we're going to change that, we need to start breaking away from some of the, some of the institutionalized mentality consumers have around, I need to get insurance to have healthcare and I need to have a job at one of these big companies in order to get that insurance. Uh, If we can chip away at that and start to show them alternatives, I think we'll be able to educate consumers and make the whole healthcare system more transparent and cost effective.
1: What are some of your biggest challenges of launching this business and getting physicians or getting employers to sign on?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is education and awareness, right? And, and um, most people are risk averse, especially especially when you're talking to an HR manager uh, or a CFO at a company and the one thing they do not want to screw up is their employees' healthcare. Like so you just, it's just not something you want to play games with, right? There are different wellness programs you can try out and pilot. But when it comes to the medical care, uh, to the, how their kids get medical care, you know, and the relationship they might have with a doctor, it's difficult to get them to, uh, experiment, right? And, and I think what we have found is that there are folks willing to do it but these are employers and benefits advisors who are so burnt out just like the doctors on these rising costs in healthcare. And they're getting to a point, it's getting to a point, Chris, where every business is in the healthcare business. And I don't care what widget you produce or, you know, what, what industry sector you're in um, when healthcare and health insurance is probably the second or third highest line item expense on your balance sheet after salaries and wages, you have a problem and you have to, you have to face it. And so, there are employers and different groups out there that are working on educating and showing alternatives to that. And so we're trying to tap into those folks um, who are really looking for the solution.
1: Are you working with smaller businesses or these bigger ones?
2: What's the yeah. typical size? Yeah, so we are agnostic on size, but our sweet spot is probably anywhere from 100 employees to 2,000. You know, that mid market employer segment of the country where, you know, you're not Google. Uh, but you're not just, you know, a mom and pop shop either. Mm -hmm. And your healthcare costs are rising faster than inflation. Uh, You're self-insured and you're paying out the claims that all your, for every dollar that your employees spend on healthcare, you're on the hook. And so you have a financial incentive as an employer, as a business to invest in prevention. And those are the folks that we find are really open to having this conversation.
1: What's your relationship like working with benefit advisors or brokers?
2: You know, that's actually been our, our main channel partners to get to these employer groups, right? Because a lot of times these benefit advisors and brokers have, you know, longstanding seven, eight-year relationships with these executives at these companies, and they trust them. There's trust there. But they're also, you know, on the hot seat because every year they come back with a 15% rate increase on the health plan that CFO is losing patients, right? And so there are benefits advisors out there that are now Pricing transparently. They're not getting kickbacks from Blue Cross or United or these insurance companies and just pushing insurance product after insurance product. They're actually trying to be transparent in how they how they, you know, advise their employer groups and they're looking at these creative solutions. So it's our job to find those folks. There are plenty of brokers that we've spoken with that the first question out of their mouth is, Well, what's my commission gonna be? You know, and, and it's it's uh it's disheartening because you're like, well, it shouldn't you know, shouldn't you be interested in providing the best solution for your client? And it's like, yeah, as long as they make a certain percentage off the top. And those are not the type of brokers we're looking to work with and partner with. We're looking at the TPA's third party administrators and the benefits advisors who understand that they have to get ahead of this healthcare cost curve and they're they're willing to be creative and be transparent.
1: Yeah, we always we always laugh. And again, this is a theme that people might under might might hear a lot, but when a broker talks about their quote unquote client um, yeah. I'm very quick to ask them who actually pays their salary, who actually pays yeah. their commission. Are they getting paid by XYZ Corp, or are they getting paid by United or Anthem or blue cross blue shield? And um, you know their definition of client changes pretty quickly because to me a client is somebody who is paying you for services, right? Um, right. So it always interesting on the nomenclature vocabulary is some people hit you with, and then automatically saying, "Hey, me, me, me. What can I? What can I do for my my clients? Act in their best interest?" Yet. I have my hand groveling. Who's your client, right? Who's
2: really your client? Who do you really work for here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and and that was kind of a loaded question too, because there are some friendly people out there who, um, you know, friends of the show and friends of Freedom Health mm -hmm. Works who, who really want to change the way that these things are delivered. These services are delivered. And then there's other people who are just flat out roadblocks and they're saying, well, I'm making a good income. I don't want to offer DPC or Freedom Health Works or Equal Health to my people, because frankly, I'm getting fat off of this, uh, this nice little commission that I charge them. And if I can go in and say, hey, it was going to go up 15% next year, but I got you down to 12, yeah. I'm doing a great job. And people, people love me for it. And it's like, that is right. not reality. You can get
2: away with like, it. Yeah. Come on. Well, it's like, Chris, it's like, um, you know, if you're in the real estate market, would you ever work with a realtor that was representing both the buyer and the seller? It, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, when you have these, these brokers and these bed advisors who are getting paid by Blue Cross, or whatever insurance, you know, they're pushing, and also getting paid by uh, the employer, their, their quote, unquote, client, you know, you have a conflict of interest. And so, you know, my message to the employers out there is, if, if the business is out there is, you know, know exactly how your benefits advisor gets paid, right? And, uh, if they're double dipping, you need to switch your advisors, and and there are plenty of folks that I'm sure you know, Chris. You can you can connect them with, and that we could ha- happily introduce them to as well. But you know, you you want to make sure that if when you're asking your benefits advisor, hey, how do I contain costs, and they're promising you, yeah, I'm going to contain costs for you, but then really they're not presenting you with the best solutions because they're not getting paid the commissions on those solutions. You, you want to know that as the employer because you're you're being blinded. Uh, and, and they're not being transparent with you. Oh,
1: I and mean, a lot of these commissions are very expensive. Um, mm-hmm. y- y- good insurance brokers again can earn a lot of money off of that by not acting in the best interests of. Um, well, it's not. I'm not going to say clients, but people who are enlisting their services. Consumers, yeah, <laughs>
2: Absolutely. yeah. And a DPC doctor, a DPC doctor doesn't pay commissions. A company like Freedom Health works and Equal. We don't pay commissions, so you know we're asking these brokers to educate their clients on something new, which takes more work on their end, for less money, when they could just say, here's your Blue Cross renewal, and then they're going to collect a commission check at the back end.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And you start touching upon things of why is typical healthcare so expensive? And we just spent a couple minutes on it. There's so many hands in the pie, and you strip out these barriers to care, whether it's between a patient and a physician, a typical what we call retail patients, or you know, in your world when you're working with employers and employee lives and putting them into practices, yeah. when, when all of those wasteful costs and the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of red tape and bureaucracy go away, prices start coming down. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm curious, when you do work with employers, what's the buy-in for employees? And is that something that your company handles or is that a physician in the area?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question because employee education and engagement is huge here. And and so the way we designed Equal Health is we don't get paid until an employee enrolls in a DPC practice, right? So again, to be clear, we work with employers and help them coordinate DPC programs regardless of geography and how many doctors they need. We have software to do that, but we don't charge anything until an employee says, I want DPC and I want to sign up for XYZ doctor. Right. And so for us, employee engagement is, is a priority because we, we don't, we, we set up our incentives in a way that we're trying to be as aligned with the doctors as possible. So what we do is when we roll out an employer program, we will host town hall sessions, meet and greets with the doctors, Q and A seminars, different things like that. We'll create marketing collateral that the employer can use that they can customize and white label uh, to educate employees and you know, what we can do is, let's say we have employees in, you know, in a specific geography, we can go find our partnered DPC doctors that we work with and say, why don't two or three of you come on site or virtual, however they want to do it, and host the meet and greet with these employees. Now, it's not the HR manager or me talking to a bunch of employees on their healthcare. It's someone in a white coat that's telling them, exactly how they're going to take care of them and how they're going to be available to them. I think that's very powerful in in driving that employee engagement.
1: Yeah, I would say so too. When, When people seem to be kind of shocked that they actually get to talk to a doctor
2: whether that's on yeah. the
1: phone and calling in yeah. or whether that's exactly. in uh, a, a town hall meeting or, or webinar now in the, in the age of COVID uh, pandemics. Yeah. Do you ever um, pick up the phone to call a physician who's in a DPC and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, God love them. It, it, makes, it makes the world very interesting. I'm glad they're like this, but a lot of DPC physicians are fiercely independent and rightfully so, right? They, they've yeah. had some bad experiences working with uh, systems or people trying to, trying to take advantage of them. Um, Are you ever met with some hostility or some sideways glances saying like who are you? Why are you trying to get into my practice?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I I think because there are there are there are some vultures out there uh, that are going around and trying to take advantage of this trend of around DPC. Um, But you're right, there are definitely some fiercely independent doctors out there um, that, you know, credit where credit's due, they've figured out an amazing model, right? And they're very proud of that. And and you know no one wants to take that away from them. But at the same time, when you label everyone in the world that's not a patient and a doctor as an evil middleman or something like that, it's a little short-sighted because the world isn't that black and white, right? And, and like we mentioned, there, are, there are, I talked about my hospital administration experience. There are good hospital leaders out there. There are good benefits advisors out there. And there can, there can be good employers and different vendors out there as well. You have to understand who is, is, is one of the good ones, and how their incentives are lined up and what their mission is. But as long as everything they're doing is transparent and they're trying to grow the DPC movement, I think we're all on the same team here, right? We all want to see millions more Americans using DPC. We wanna see more and more doctors switching over to the model. Uh, And we're not just trying to get a quick buck off of it. Like I mentioned, we don't even get paid until the doctor gets paid. I can spend six months on an employer deal and make $0 on it if no one signs up. And, And so, you know, if you put your money where your mouth is and you're very transparent about it, I think there are going to be plenty of doctors and there are plenty of doctors who, who see that. And they've done a great job of working with us and partnering with us. And and we love, we love working with them.
1: I think it's safe to say that we share a, uh, a vision of what this perfect healthcare system Mm -hmm. looks like. And
2: yeah,
1: I just made the mistake there of, of saying system uh, healthcare is an industry right? Right. Um, The the perfect world, the perfect United States uh, of America's healthcare delivery system, medical care uh, is doctor-centered. And I think you and I, it's safe to say that you and I share that vision where doctors are the quarterback. um, And I know you've used that language before. Doctors are the quarterback coordinating patient care. And it's up to businessmen like you and I to make that relationship stickier and make it easier to happen, and a lot of that is a hearts and minds campaign, as we call it, or that educational component to that. But you know, we're playing in the world that we're we're handed right now in the sandbox, and um, yeah. you know, it's so great to talk to people with with, with shared motivations, shared visions, as far as what that should be. Um, again, fully doctor focused, fully doctor mm-hmm. led, with help from a business community that is really supporting that relationship between a doctor and a patient. Amit, one more question for you here today for this episode. As you've been growing Equal Health, are you finding the DPC has a supply or a demand issue?
2: Yes, the the age-old chicken and egg question, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that right now there's a demand issue right? I think that we can quickly reach a supply problem. But when I did those 100 interviews with DPCs around the country, if they had all told me I'm maxed out, I have no more room, then I would not have launched this company. That was not the case. There are doctors around the country that it took them 18 months to two years to get to break even. They were moonlighting on the side, and they were very much being bootstrapped startup founders until they got their practice to a point where they were comfortable with their panel size. And there are more and more doctors switching over and trying to grow. So I think there is plenty of supply. We may not have the footprint in every city in America that we would like, but there's plenty of supply to get started. Now we have a demand issue of where we need to help bridge the gap between the consumers and the doctors, right? Again, we, there are plenty of, it's really hard to go knock on doors and educate individual families on DBC. But if we can start getting employers involved when the majority of this country gets their healthcare through employers, for better or for worse. Uh, that's how you start getting people scaling DPC. That's how you start getting an entire company sponsoring DPC memberships for their employees. And now all those employees are telling their brothers and sisters and family and friends, and now you get more and more education and awareness to spread. So I would say right now it's a demand issue, uh, but we could very quickly reach a supply issue as well. And that's why we have to continue educating the residents. I'm really glad that you, you did some work there as well, Chris.
1: Well, there you go, folks. Uh, Go shout it from the high heavens about the virtues of direct primary care. Amit Reddy, CEO of Equal Health. Thanks so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris.
1: For more information about direct primary care, visit freedomhealthworks.com to check out all of our episodes and our brand new retail online shop to pick up some awesome swag, mostly about the virtues of insurance not equaling healthcare. visit HealthCareAmericana.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you later.
0: Health insurance premiums are rising faster than actual medical costs, and employers everywhere are struggling to keep their heads above water and take care of their amazing team. Most people will never meet their deductible in a given year. So shouldn't there be an alternative to health insurance for people who don't really need it? at custom benefit solutions we build better benefit solutions by pairing local direct primary care options with affordable medical cost sharing plans this creates affordable options for America's small businesses. These companies are able to save money and provide an actual primary care doctor that'll take care of your employees and their families. Employees enjoy getting the care they deserve without struggling with confusing co or deductibles. Want to learn more? Go to custombenefits.org and talk to a team member today. Custom Benefits Solutions. We solve for care. There comes a time when the man of the house must take charge. Family planning is a tough conversation for many. And at Happy Dad Vasectomy, we understand that decision isn't easy. When your family is complete, our no needle, no scalpel, no stitches procedure will give you peace of mind about your family's future. Happy Dad Vasectomy conveniently books appointments within two weeks of calling and has locations in central and northern Indiana. Visit happydadvasectomy.com to learn more. Happy Dad Vasectomy, the easiest part of family planning. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org.
1: Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry, and we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.